wherever you're going to be for those three weeks of winter break. Um, I know you have plans, like you've already probably eagerly begun to make them, preparations and thoughts about how you're going to use the time that God has given you for those three weeks. Uh, and, you know, just, just to, in case you haven't thought about it yet, just to get the fire stoking, um, most likely, I'm guessing, at the top of your list, or soon to be at the top of your list, is sleeping in. That's why you see lots of head shaking. Mm-hmm. Reconnecting with family, friends, depending on where you're going. Enjoying home-cooked food. Uh, this is something I'm looking forward to. Maybe even tomorrow, my daughter, Laura, and I, we're going to make my grandmother's special Christmas anise cookies mm-hmm. that we try to make a couple times a year. Yep. Um, maybe, you know, you're, you have some books that you've been meaning to read or shows you've been meaning to watch. I know this summer, my, my kids and I, we were on a road trip, and we listened to Lemmy Snicket's uh, Series of Unfortunate Events on, on, on like, the audio, and we really like them. And now we hear that there's a Netflix series, so I think over the break mm-hmm. we're going to try to watch that. We're looking forward to that. Um, some of you might be scheming about thoughtful ways to serve your family. <laughs> you should be thinking about thoughtful ways to serve your family. My brother-in-law, one, one Christmas break, my brother-in-law and I, we put together an entire surf and turf meal for the family from start to finish. We, we did the grocery shopping, the cooking, the serving, the cleaning. It was amazing. Except for the onion skins that got put in the marinade. <laughs> that kind of ruined the fish course. <laughs> And for the record, that was not my fault. But, <laughs> but you can think of like ways to serve your family when you go home, if, if you're doing that, or serve your friends if you're spending time with friends. Um, and maybe, I mean, in a more serious term, maybe you're preparing for some challenging conversations or some challenging interactions with uh, that family member that it, uh, that's difficult to spend time with, or that friend that you know you're going to see, but it's also you just for whatever reason you have challenging interactions. And you know you need to be careful not to revert to old hurtful patterns. Um, and actually, later on tonight, we're going to be praying for our breaks, um, that God would bless those three weeks wherever he takes us. But the point is here is that I know you're making plans, you're making preparations for these three weeks. It's a gift. Uh, but I do want to add one more thing to your list. To just As you're thinking about what you're going to be doing, I want to make sure that there's one thing on your mind that, uh, that just, you're just aware of and you're prepared for. And it's actually, it's not me putting it on your list, but I, I want God to put it on your list. It's something that he wants you to be planning on and preparing for, even here as you, as you get set to scatter. And that one thing that God wants to put on all of our lists is found in 2 Timothy 4. It's our scripture passage for tonight. So, Robbie, you can put that back up. So listen as I read God's word for us tonight. This is from the Apostle Paul writing to a young man, pastor in Ephesus named Timothy. Paul writes, but it's also the word of God for us. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So what is that thing that God wants you and I to plan on, to prepare for as we head wherever we're going uh, these three weeks? And it's right there in verse 2, to preach the word. And also again in verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. And I recognize this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. Um, and like I said, Timothy, who was a pastor of a church in Ephesus, which is like modern day, in modern-day Turkey, and Paul is, is, is exhorting him in his great passage to fearlessly, tirelessly, and faithfully speak up about the Word. And, well, you know, well, what is the Word? And it, the, the Word is, is basically just the truth about God as God has revealed it in the Scriptures, and particularly the good news and the, the good news story about Jesus Christ as it has unfolded in history and as it's recorded, it's too is recorded in the Scriptures. That's the Word that Paul is holding out, that char- charging Timothy to preach, to speak. So, But this charge is not just for Timothy, it's for us as well. It's charges for anybody who bears the name Christian, that they would preach the word, that they would speak up about Christ. So as you shift from academic life here to winter break life, wherever you're going, from being here to being somewhere else, I mean, like I said, no doubt you have many plans, but as you think about the next three weeks, add this to your list. Add this to your plan and your purpose, to be willing to speak up about Christ and the gospel, if God so gives you the opportunity. So be willing to preach the word. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to consider this charge, preach the word, and to look at two things, to look at why and then to look at how. So preach the word, why? Well, one reason it's because it's the word. Um, preach the word, Paul says. And I, I'm not a great wordsmith, but I think I can handle the definite article, the. <laughs> it's not preach a word, it's not preach with words, but it is preach the word. In other words, God has given a definite, clear, specific message, it's the, the Bible or the gospel message, And he wants us to take that and to pass it on to others. And so there's this, the word that is to be preached. And this word, I like that definite article too, because it emphasizes this word, it doesn't originate from us. It's not our word. It's the word. It's it's, It's the word that belongs to God. It originates from God himself. So it's like if I'm reading a book out loud to my kids, um, you know, I'm not the author of that story. And so what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to accurately and faithfully just retell that story as the author has written and retell it to my kids. And so when we preach the word or share the message of the gospel with someone, we're not passing on like our insightful opinions about something or our latest ingenious thoughts. No, we're, we're re-speaking the very words of God for somebody else to hear, the very story of God. Um, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul makes this very point. Just hear how he says it. And God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, and God has committed to us the word. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors, and then this is it right here. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. Right, so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this idea that we have a word, and then when we speak it, it's as if God himself is making his appeal to others through us. Because we're not speaking our word, we're speaking the word of God to others. It's as if God is speaking through us to another. Now you might say, well, why, might, why does God use us for his appeal? Why can't he speak for himself? Well, that's his plan. That's what he wants to do. And he gets glory when we speak a word as feeble and as human as we are, when we speak faithfully his word to somebody else, and then they hear it for what it is, the word of God. God gets the glory for that. So when you go home, enjoy catching up with friends and family. Tell them how you are. Find out how they've been. Enjoy doing things together. But remember that one of the greatest things that we can do is not just to speak our words and thoughts to those that we love, but to speak God's words and thoughts if we're given the opportunity. And of course your family and your friends, they want to hear how you're doing and what you're thinking. But I would rather my friends and family hear about the true meaning behind Christmas or about what God has done for them in Jesus Christ than my personal opinions on the latest tax reform plan in Congress or what I think about the Star Wars movie if I end up seeing it. I mean, we're going to talk about those things probably, right? And that's great. But I'd rather them hear, you know, something of lasting importance, like the very word of God. So be looking for those opportunities. Remember that. Preach the word because it is God's word and people need to hear from him. That's one why. Another why, another reason why, is because of Jesus' certain return. And it's right back in verse 1, in view of his appearing in kingdom, Jesus appearing in kingdom. And for the past couple weeks, we've been considering how the impact of Jesus' certain return, the impact that it has on our lives. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about, okay, Jesus' certain return, he's coming back. It means that we ought to live lives that give glory to him. We ought to live righteously for him. Last week, we talked about how, okay, in light of his return, we can suffer and endure suffering and suffer patiently. Um, this week, in light of Jesus' return, it's very clear, it made the connection to the passage, we'll speak up about him before he comes back. Jesus' return reminds us that there's a window of opportunity, and, and it, that window closes a little bit more each day that he doesn't come back. Jesus' return, it's one day closer today than it was yesterday. But and you can also think of it this way. Tomorrow morning, if the sun comes up and we're given another day by God, people, it's, it's a sign of God's patience. People have one more day to respond to God's invitation of salvation in Christ before Jesus returns. That's what the sunrise means every day for everybody. God's patience to give them another chance to respond to his invitation of salvation. So preach the word in the meantime. While that window is not, it's still open, it hasn't fully closed, preach the word. And Jesus' return, it also reminds us that we're to give an account to him. It talks about that. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead, and all of us will have to give an account to him. And one of the things we'll have to give an account to him for is whether or not we've shared our faith with those that he's given us an opportunity with, whether or not we've preached the word. And accountability is a good thing. We love accountability when it comes to our elected officials. You know, it's at the heart of our political system. If our elected officials, if they don't do what they promised or what they said they would do, then two or four or six years later, we just, we vote for somebody else. And we, so we like that, that we have the ability to have accountability over our elected officials. And Jesus, when he returns, you know, what kind of account will we give him? Will he find us faithful with our witness and with our conduct? 
And one more reason from the passage. It comes up in verses 3 and 4 of why we preach the word. It's because people are quick to listen to messages that satisfy their own desires more than the truth. So verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when the people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So there was a tendency in Timothy's day and his age, and it's the same with every age and every day, that there's an inclination, there's a tendency in us that we want to pick and choose what we want the truth to be. Um, and, and it happens inside the church. This is Timothy's being warned about people in the church, and it happens outside of the church. Um, and so sometimes, and I, I was just thinking about this, sometimes the gospel in 21st century America can sound like, or you can hear something like, okay, bring your problems to Jesus, and he'll make them better. You know, he'll make you happy. Um, and honestly, that, that can happen. Jesus can do that. But that is not a promise that you can find in Scripture. That is not a promise that Jesus gives, gives us. It sounds nice. We might wish it to be true. But just wishing it to be true, just because it itches our ears and sounds nice, it doesn't mean that it is true. So I have Christian brothers and sisters who struggle with depression, and, I, and this, is, this is the example that I thought of. And there are some seasons where that depression lifts, and they, 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 they feel that burden gone, or maybe it's, it's there, but it's, it's, just a, it's an easier season. And then there are some seasons that comes back, and it, it is hard. The depression is there, and they're struggling. Um, it's like waves on a seashore. This depression just keeps coming back. Jesus isn't making their life better, <laughs> or necessarily happy, at least with reference to the depression. But what's amazing to me is that these brothers and sisters, they find a way to cling to the truths, to the, to the word that God gives them. Things like Jesus saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love. You are my daughter, my son, by grace. I will remember your sins no more. They're cast, they're hurled into the depths of the sea. I am working in your life for righteousness and goodness. Right? And they might not, and they know this, they might not feel it in a given moment, but they trust Christ and his promises more than their own feelings. And that's extraordinary. That is the word. That's not having your ears tickled by what sounds good. That is faith. Timothy had to discern what, how air was creeping into the church and how air could creep and change and distort the gospel. Paul was urging him to do that. Can you do that? Are you doing that? Timothy had to talk about difficult and unpopular things with others. Something like, you know, you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ, he was crushed for your sin. That's not an easy thing to talk about with people, but yet that's part of the gospel. Timothy was being charged to do that. Are we doing that? Can we do that? Do we do that? So you go back to the picture of me reading a story with my kids, right? Imagine as I'm reading the story, I just start changing the story, right? Okay, like the three little pigs get eaten by the big bad wolf kids. <laughs> that actually might make a better story. <laughs> or, you know, Frodo never makes it to Mordor with the brain. You know, you just, just start changing the story. And, you know, for the Christian... 
If, okay, God's word, he is the author of his word, his entire word, and so we don't change it. We don't play around with it. It's up to us to just simply re-speak what God has already said, and in many cases, figure out what has God said. His word is the authority. We yield to it. We don't make it yield to us, and we don't make it yield to our desires of what we wish it to say. And Thomas Jefferson, I know some of you know this, Thomas Jefferson, he took his Bible and he sliced out the bits that he really liked and he put them in a book for himself. And then the stuff that he didn't like, he just sort of left in a scrappy Bible. Um, and he even said to John Adams, okay, these, these things that I've cut out, these are the diamonds in the midst of a dunghill. That's what he said. Like, that, that is the exact opposite of what Paul is charging Timothy right here. Every generation has to decide if God's truth... All of God's truth, and not just the bits and pieces that our ears like to hear, if it's actually the truth. Paul knew his time was coming and that he was finishing, and that's why he said to Timothy, I have fought the fight, I've run the race. He knew he was passing on the baton to young Timothy, and he was saying, like, Timothy, you and your generation, you have to decide, is this word true, and are you going to preach it that way? So what about you? I mean, you all, you're the next generation. And thankfully, the PCF staff, we're, we're still here. Like, we're, not, we're not leaving like Paul. We're not saying, okay, we've run the race. See you later. Um, but you are the next generation, so that's a live question for you. Will you hold fast to all of God's truth? So that's why we, should, we, we are to preach the word, all of us. And now we can turn to how. How are we to preach the word and share the gospel? And I'm going to focus on verse 2 here. This is, it's right there up on the screen. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So how are we to preach first urgently? Right there it says, be prepared in verse 2. When something is urgent, we are prepared. And like, if you, have, if you have some sort of presentation to make in class in two hours, like, you will be prepared. And if you are not prepared, you will be scrambling for those two hours to do everything you possibly can to get prepared, right? If there's a sense of urgency, we will be prepared. So we, we have to have that sense of urgency, um, alertness, readiness. I remember one time a few years ago, I, I mean, many of you know that I'm a runner, and I was, there's a running group in town, and I was going to run with a group of guys that I run with at the time. And as I was going there, I was just thinking about, oh, I can't wait to run. This is what I want to run tonight. This is how fast. I've got my race in a couple weeks, and hopefully, you know, if I do this workout next week, and I'll, just, I'll, I'll be able to run, you know, like this sort of time in my race. I was just so consumed with, like, running with my friends, getting in a good workout, and thinking about the future race. And I show up, and we go on a run, like maybe like an 8 or 10-mile run. And, like, after two miles into the run... One of my friends turns to me and says, Chris, you know, hey, why are you a Christian? And I was totally caught off guard. I wasn't thinking about, like, I, I didn't have the sense of urgency, the sense of expectancy, right? I, and I just was just blown away. I, didn't, I wasn't, like, praying for the opportunity to share my faith. I wasn't thinking about it. I just showed up, and then my friend asked me, like, basically, can you, can you please share your faith, Chris, right? <laughs> and thankfully, like, I recovered. And is there something going on with that? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. There's not like a person standing right at the window, like like a really bad horror movie. Or 
But that, like my my way is that that's like the opposite of urgency and expectancy, right? Just not on your mind at all. And then God opens up a door, and you're just like, oh, you're like, oh my goodness, how do I walk through this? And thankfully, you know, for the next many miles, this friend of mine and I, we had a great conversation. Like God had mercy on me, and I was able to share, you know, a reason for the hope that I had. So we must be ready. We must be prepared. Thinking about it. Um, being prayerful about opportunities. God wants people to hear about him. Expect that he'll give you opportunities. Uh, another uh, way we share is consistently. This says, be prepared in season and out of season. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like I'm not a hunter, right? In season and out of season. That's exactly where my, I grew up in western Pennsylvania. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Anna. So did Anna. And my grandmother lived in the middle of some very deep woods. It was like coal mining country. My grandfather was a coal miner. And so when I would go out running, when I was in high school, I was like spending the weekend with my grandma. My grandma was like, Chris, you make sure you wear bright orange clothing when you go out running today so you don't get shot. You know? I'm like, okay, I don't want to get shot by the people hunting for deer. So like when you think of in season and out of season, it sounds like okay when you're deer hunting, there's there's a time where you're allowed to shoot deer, and then there's a time when you're not allowed to shoot deer. Like as if like to you know preach the word in season out of season. There's a time that you're allowed to share your faith, and there's a time that you can't. You don't. That's not what's that, that's not what's going on here. Um, I think the NRSV gets it much better. It says be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Whether it's convenient or inconvenient, we preach the word, in season or out of season, that we would consistently be willing to talk about Christ with anyone, anytime, anywhere. And so some of us, we might divide people up into groups, right? Like, okay, there's this group of people that I hang out with, and I know, I could, I could probably, talk, they might be interested in hearing about my faith. And that there's this group of people over here, like, ah, there's no way. Right? Like we, we might sort of divide people into categories like that. And just say, no, no, don't do that. Whether it's favorable or unfavorable, don't make these predetermined judgments. Just be ready to share, to preach the word, just in season and out of season. Whether the, se- the season is favorable or unfavorable. Now, it doesn't mean you force it, um, but it means that you're willing in any and every situation. Um, there are a few alums who... Uh, well, actually, one alum and one friend, they're young people that work in New York City. This is a great illustration of this. One works for a consulting firm, one works for a hedge fund. Um, and both of them have spearheaded efforts within their working communities to start a group that's centered on prayer and reading the Bible among their coworkers. And you have to be careful about how you go about doing that in a workplace setting. Like, you don't want to have pre- prayer meetings on company time. That's not why they're paying you. <laughs> But these two young professionals, um, they're examples of what it means to be consistent in their Christian witness. Because they're in an environment where there are many there not very interested in God or faith or the gospel. But they're nonetheless being persistent. You know, whether the time, the culture, the people, whether they're favorable or unfavorable, they're just moving forward in their witness of Christ. And people are showing up to their groups. So, you know... Wherever you scatter for those three weeks, like don't assume that this family member or this friend would never be interested in God or the gospel. Don't shut yourself off from them um, 
or, or don't think that, you, you, that there'll never be an opportunity. Be consistent and persist when the time is favorable and persist when the time is unfavorable. Doesn't mean you force it, like I said, but it certainly means that you'll never pull away, you'll never give up hope or trying. So, and also relevantly, to, to speak relevantly, I mean, when we speak, we're called to be relevant. This verse says correct, rebuke, encourage. These are three very different things to be applied in very different situations. Um, so we're to correct, or as some versions put it, we're to convince. Uh, so this is more of like the intellectual side of things. Like some people are tormented by doubts, um, intellectual challenges to faith, and they need to be convinced of the reasonableness of faith. So for example, why do you believe that God is good and loving and trustworthy despite the fact that there's evil and suffering in this world? Can you answer that question? Can you convince somebody? Maybe not. You can't. There's no you know, perfect argument, but can you at least reasonably talk about why you have faith in God, um, even given that? Um, so you know, to convince, to correct. We're also to rebuke. This is, this is more moral. Some have fallen into sin, and they need to be rebuked in love and in truth. And for me, God used a guy named Matt Grove when I was late in my teens. This is what Matt Grove did. He was a great rebuker. Like, one time, we would be hanging out. We'd be in his car. He'd be driving me home. And then he'd take a detour and pull into an empty, dark parking lot. Say, Chris, we need to talk. You're making some really bad decisions. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting other people. You, you just need Jesus. You need, you need to get it together. And that's just like, and you know what? He was right. And he just he would just rebuke me just like that. Like when I was before I before I came to faith. Um, and sometimes that's what that's what we need. Um, and then we're also to exhort. This is more emotional. There are those who are haunted by fears, haunted by discouragement, haunted by guilt or shame. And they need to be encouraged. They don't need rebuke most of the time. That would be the worst thing you could do. But they need encouragement. They need exhortation. They need the words and the truth of God. And so can we know people and listen to people well enough that we know which of these three to apply when? And to carefully bring God's word to bear on their lives, whatever situation they're in, whatever emotional state they're in. Can we do that? Can we preach the word relevantly? And now patiently, verse 2 ends with, with great patience and careful instruction, right? Pe- preach the word patiently. And I, I believe this means certainly being patient with those that you're speaking with, right? Don't be rough or rude toward them. People are going to have very different ways of understanding reality, so don't be surprised if that's the case. Um, that it doesn't give us license to be rude or arrogant or obnoxious. Rather, be patient. But I also think it means being patient in the process. People typically don't change their minds and hearts instantaneously. Sometimes it happens, rarely, but like usually it's a process. There was a man, some of you might know this, there was a man named George Mueller. He looked out for orphans back in the 1800s. He made it his ambition when he was a young man. To, to, there were five dear friends that he had, his ambition to pray for each of those five friends for their salvation every single day. Listen to what he said. He said, Um, I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether I was sick or in health, whether I was on land or on the sea, and whether the pressure of my engagement, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. And so he faithfully prayed for those five friends every single day from the time he, I think it was like your age. And after a year and a half, one friend came to faith. And he thanked God, and then he kept praying for the others. 
And then I think after six years or seven years, uh, that another friend came to faith. And then like another six years, so like it's like year 13, the third friend came to faith. And that's what he would do is he would pray, 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 pray. He would be patient. And then he would thank God and then keep praying. And it was actually 52 years later that the other two came to faith. Um, but it's just a remarkable testimony to a man who patiently sort of prayed and preached the word to his friends. And finally, confidently, when you go home, I want you to be confident in the gospel. Um, this is how Paul, remember how Paul started his charge? He said, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. And I, yeah, I think on the one hand, it means that God is, he's watching us and we're accountable to him. We talked about that. But it, it also means that God and Christ are with us. We are in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul reminds us of at the beginning. We are not alone. When we speak up and talk about Jesus with others, God is with us to empower our often feeble and inadequate words. And we can have confidence in the message because it's a message from God. It's God's word and not ours. And we can have confidence in the God who sends us, that he not only sends us, but he is with us. And we can have confidence that the same God will work in and through our relationships. Um, he, he will use us for his purposes. So as you, as you go, wherever you go, and whether you're with family or friends or both, I, I want you to have this vision that, that God can use you um, in those places to speak words of life and grace to others. I'm struck at just how God frequently, when you read through the book of Acts, he frequently uses the home to bring people to faith, right? Acts 16, the Philippian jailer and, and Lydia, they, these things took place, and a lot of the conversions took place in the home. Acts 17, Jason's home in Thessalonica. Acts 18, Titus Justice's home in Corinth. Acts 21, Philip's home in Caesarea. Just the, it, it just makes sense that the home is where friends and family draw together, and it's often the place where the gospel is miraculously passed on from one person to another. And I'm living testimony of that. I think of Ted Kimes' home and Mr. Morgan's home. I mean, Jay reminded me this week that it was through a friend and her hospitality in her home that he received the gospel. This is just often the way it is. So when you spend time, whether it's in your own parents' home or in friends' houses, just be mindful that this is often where people hear the gospel and believe the gospel. So have confidence to speak up and to share the gospel. God can use the time that he gives you these next three weeks with friends and family, wherever you are, to speak words of life and grace and truth. So preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. This is one of God's glorious purposes for us. And obviously not just for these next three weeks, but for our lives. So let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. It is true and it is good. It's what we need to know about life and salvation. So we praise you that you have granted it. You've given it to us as a gift. We pray that you would plant your word and truth more deeply within us so that we would believe by faith in our hearts, draw closer to you. We pray that you would use us as your mouthpieces to share and to speak your word, your words of life to others. And we pray for them that you would open up their hearts 
open up their minds, open up their lives to receive your word, your good word about Jesus Christ, and to receive it with faith and joy. Oh Lord, you are good, and you can do these things. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.